Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Today, my conversation with the director, Jonathan Glazer. Jonathan Glazer, if you're not um, a cinephile, he makes these films that stick with you for a really long time. He made this film called Sexy Beast, which is a violent gangster, which gets talked about a lot. He made this film called Birth, where a young boy claims to be the reincarnation of an adult woman's dead husband. I know him from his music video work. He made uh, Karma Police from from Radiohead, Street Spirit, Fade Out from Radiohead. He made uh, Virtual Insanity from Jamiroquai. He made Song for the Lovers from Richard Ashcroft, a song I really love. Yeah, and I remember just knowing that those were great videos. I remember people talked about those videos. Well, I want to talk a little bit about his new movie. It's called The Zone of Interest. And it was filmed at the Auschwitz concentration camp. It's the story of the Holocaust from the perspective of a German family that helped to orchestrate the killing of hundreds of thousands of Jewish people. We stay with this family just outside Auschwitz's gates as they play in their garden, host parties, enjoy their lives, while just a couple of meters away, an unimaginable number of people meet their deaths. So... I talked to Jonathan back in September 2023 during the Toronto International Film Festival. Since then, I've been thinking a lot about this conversation because Jonathan has a lot to say about the violence we perpetrate against one another. He has a lot to say about the banality of evil and how being aware of the Holocaust from a very early age as a Jewish kid, he always knew he'd make a film about it. Um, the film is out this Friday. It's, it's, it's quite breathtaking. I'm very happy that Jonathan Glazer came in to talk to me about it. Talk to me a little bit about um, where the idea came to make this film. Um, it's hard to uh, trace it back to um, one, any one moment, really. Mm-hmm. I think, it's, um, <clears throat> I think it's, a, it's partly just sort of, um, you know, living in the times that we are. Um, and, I mean, that's something which um, obviously I'm, uh, you know, tuned into. And... Um, and also, um, I felt that I was going to come to this subject at some point in my life. The Holocaust. Yeah. Um, partly because of, um, you know, I'm a Jewish man. I grew up in a Jewish home and, um, you know, you, you sort of that, you, you're aware of that uh, subject from a very early age. You're aware of that atrocity, that event from a very early age. I don't know. It's something I guess I've been thinking about for a long time, a lot longer than than. Than, than just this uh, just this film. You sort of had some idea that one one day you were going to make a film uh, concerning the Holocaust. I think so. Yeah, I think I did. I mean, I, I um, yes, I had a um, I had an inkling that I might from uh, the last film that we made, which was called Under the Skin, and sort of around that time, I, well, soon after that film, I began to think about it as a subject, and I, I didn't know, I didn't know what um, I didn't know what my access point would be into it at all. Um, so I spent a good couple of years really reading about it um, and visiting 
Auschwitz and talking to survivors and really what, reading and watching anything I could get my hands on. Just a, it's such a vast subject. What I find interesting about that is most people would have the germ of the idea. They would know what they want their film to be about and mm. then they would do the, mm. the research. They would mm. sit down with people and say, okay, I have this idea. I want to tell this story. Mm-hmm. What stories can you tell me that can help illuminate the story of what I'm telling? What I'm hearing you saying, if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. here, is you were speaking to people trying to figure out what, what film you wanted to make at all. Kind of. I, 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 I felt like I was going to I, – I, it was the perpetrator. It was, it was under, trying to sort of look at the perpetrator, really, shine the – turn the camera onto the perpetrator. I think I understood that I wanted to do that very early on. I just didn't quite know how or, or what, part of, what part of this subject I, I would sort of um, feature. I felt that I wanted – I wanted to look at the similarities, our similarities with the perpetrator rather than our similarities with the victim. Why? Um, well, I mean, because I, you can see uh, how not well, the why of these of this particular atrocity or others in the others since, um, but how we as human beings are have the capacity for that, and um, and that if the if that violence wasn't in us, then it wouldn't be in the world as it is. So I sort of was trying to look at. Um, how uh, how easily um, human beings can sort of um, follow an ideology like that. I, I want to get to how you tell that story through sound um, a little bit later in the, in the conversation. But first, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the where and how you made the film. And if I'm not mistaken, you, you, you shot the film in and around the Auschwitz concentration camp? We did. We started um, – we started. We visited the camps and talked to the historians there and the people who run it, which is now the Auschwitz State Museum. Um, and I also visited the home of the commandant of Auschwitz at the time, Rudolf Hoss, um, and his home and garden uh, abutted the wall of the camp that he ran. And it was a jaw-dropping discovery, really, for me to see how um, a man and his wife and could raise their five children um, there in such close proximity. What was jaw-dropping to you about it? Well, on one side of the wall you have um, uh, a garden, you know, um, built, grown, cultivated by her, you know, legion of prisoners who would, you know, attend to all of her whims. Um, and on the other side of exactly the same wall was the concentration camp that was... Uh, where her husband was going to work in the morning and essentially going to work in the morning and, um, you know, murdering countless, countless pe- amounts of human beings, coming back and having, uh, reading, to his, reading a story to his kids and having dinner. That, that, that proximity, that, that, that stunned, stunned me, I think. And that, that, so I, I felt that's where I was going to tell the story. How was it for you just having to be there so much in order to make the film? Well, it's, it's certainly... Um, it, ha- it has a it has an impact. It's it's a strange. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an extremely profound for me. It was a very profound experience and journey, and for a lot of people, obviously working on the film because we chose very early on to set it there and not try and recreate it elsewhere um, in this sort of safe space of a film studio or a location in a you know miles from it, and to pretend where we were I, I wanted to be where it happened and um we went about forging very strong relationships with the people around the camps and uh, ran the museum the camp museum 
um, and um, they gave us permissions to film in a house which was um, no more than 50 metres from the original Hoss house um, and really a kind of mirror of it. Um, it was derelict and there was, it was uh, surrounded by um, a, a, a kind of bit of wasteland um, and it's been in a, in a um, it's been owned by a family for many years. This this uh, derelict house, and we managed to to secure permission to rebuild it, to build a garden, and to film there. Um, and we were in a house which was a direct copy of the of the real Hoss house, which was a stone's throw from where we were filming. So, the experience of actually being on that soil. Um, and making this film there was um, extraordinary, of course. Was it psychically challenging? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible subject, of course, and it's, uh, you know, and I didn't want to approach it casually. I, I wanted to sort of immerse myself in, in it, um, and as a result, you, you, know, you, you, f you feel it very deeply. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. A part of the film that I found uh, fascinating was the lives of the workers um, who uh, I'm assuming were prisoners at the concentration camp who were brought over to work at Hoss's house, at, at the commandant's house. Um, that's a that's a part of um, I guess that's just a part of the story I had never thought of before. Mm. What did you learn in your research about the folks who who worked at these houses? I, I actually learned most of my research in terms of what is in the film directly, what's said in the film, and what's seen in the film from those people. Really, in other words from the testimonies that they um, that they left from you know the ones who survived. Um, the way that the, the 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 people you see in the film who work in the house uh, range from. Um, gardeners who were prisoners to the girls who worked in the house doing cleaning and cooking and um, mending and everything else um, and they were actually not from the camps at all and they were not Jewish girls, they were local Catholic mm -hmm. girls, so they were local Polish girls uh, who came from the village and the local villages uh, around, um, around Auschwitz, uh, around the concentration camps um, so um, they came some of them lived in and some of them came every day from their own homes um, and uh, there was a book written by one of the historians that we work very closely with called uh, Peter Sitkevich, Piotr Sitkevich, um, who's a very uh, esteemed uh, Holocaust historian. And um, he wrote a book called Private, Li Private Lives of the SS. And in that book, or that book was really a kind of collection of um, interviews with some of the survivors of, the, of who, who lived in that, who lived in and with. Um, um, Nazis and their in the homes of Nazis and their and their families, um, and you get a, obviously an insight into the kind of daily daily comings and goings, the banalities of domestic life. What what, what struck you about it? Well, how familiar it was, 
really. But it's, it, it, I think, over, overridingly how familiar they are, they were. Um, Birthdays, uh, presents. Everything uh, we do. Yeah, arguments within the household. Every family, every and any family. Um, so I think the idea of the film for me was to somehow through that demystify this idea, this very comforting idea that we're nothing like them um, and that we couldn't be like them and we couldn't do what they did. Um, and to kind of try and kind of shatter that really somehow by showing um, a family who were directly, who were, you know, commanding these atrocities um, and living in, in ways that we live and sharing the same dreams and aspirations we have. Healthy, healthy children, nice life, uh, home comforts, home and garden. Um, and how easily people can obviously uh, sign up to an ideology that, that, uh, that secures them that. I want to talk about the sound of the film. For people who haven't seen it, some of the most striking um, um, ways, uh, use of sound in, in the film happens during these moments that we've been talking about. The family is in the, the backyard. They're planting a garden. They're having a, a birthday dinner. The, they're, you know, again, right next to the concentration camp. And while they're kind of conversing, always through the, all of the scenes, mm. there are screams of the people, prisoners being executed next door, mm. um, gunshots, uh, people being tortured. Um, the family moves on. The family pretends they can't hear it or they're sort of immune to it. I have the suspicion that like only the, the, the – there's a baby crying throughout. So I had a moment where maybe only the baby is not inoculated to it. So mm -hmm. the baby is responding to what's actually happening. But then there were moments that I couldn't tell the baby's screams from the screams of, mm -hmm. the, of the prisoners next door. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me a little bit about those scenes and how you wanted to use sound. Well, I knew from the – before I uh – before I filmed a frame, that sound was going to be the other film. Um, there are two films here, one you hear and one you see. And the one you see is actually, um, strangely, uh, is, is, uh, is undramatic. I mean, the one you see, the events that are taking place, you know, they're not, they're not uh, traditionally dramatic. They're actually quite uh, everyday and quite... A family living their lives. A family living their lives. We're dropping in on them. Uh, you know, it happens to be this day we drop in on them. Um, and I knew that the other film would be this f film that we hear, and the film that we hear, of course, is is uh, is constructed entirely from from the sounds um, that one might have heard um, had one lived uh, there um, at that time. And um, I think that I understood, you know, I understood that set, first of all, sound is obviously extremely is interpretive in a way that pictures aren't. So, so you're kind of to your to your, uh, you know, you were saying you couldn't. Sometimes you didn't know whether it was a baby screaming or someone over the wall screaming. I mean, all of that stuff is very intentional and very carefully and uh, calibrated and woven to kind of achieve those effects. These images um, we know from history, from school, from, from other films, mm -hmm. um, either the real archive um, imagery or, uh, or fictional recreations <clears throat> from you know, any number of, of, of films about the Holocaust. And I kind of understood very early on that I didn't want to um, reenact any of that at all. I didn't think it was right to do that. And I also felt that we, we can become quite inured to that. We've seen it. Um, so I wanted to kind of assume, I wanted, to, I wanted people to understand. I wanted the experience to be t taken, taken that as read, that people understood that those, what those sounds represented. They already know. They already know. So there was no point in doing it again. And there was certainly, I had no, I, had a, you know, I wouldn't have, I didn't want to reenact any of that. Personally. 
just you can't get close to what that place was um, through reenactment. It's just not possible. Um, you know, there's many arguments about whether you should even try. In my opinion, in my opinion, you shouldn't. It's not for me to uh, say that others shouldn't try or can't. It's just for me, I couldn't, and I, I felt that that um, it was something. It was a fool's errandry. It's almost more horrifying to hear it in the background than it is to see it in some ways. I think so. I mean, f- for me it is. And because, as you said, we, we know it. We've seen that. We've seen those images. I think the reason for that is, is um, partly because in order to watch the film and to understand the everyday snapshot of the lives of the family, and this may be a little bit of interpretation on my part, I felt like I had to be complicit a little bit myself. Mm. And what I mean by that is there, are, there is screaming and gunshots and torture happening throughout the entire well, – the majority of the film mm-hmm. next, next door. And, um, but at a certain point, I had to – I was trying to listen to what the family was talking mm-hmm. about. They were trying – you know, are they talking about having to move house? Are they, ha- are they talking about their birthday party? Are mm-hmm. they talking about whether the kids are going to go to school? And I had this realization – we talked about this. Our, our producer, Lisa, and I, mm-hmm. we talked about this. We also started tuning it out. Mm. We also started tuning out the sounds of the uh, of of um, what was happening next door. We'll say right. right. It, it felt like there was a complicity on the um, audience member as well. I think it's it's, part, it's certainly by, by design, and part of that is to for us to kind of experience that desensitization as well. And um, you know, the if you live next to a railway track uh, and you got a, your fridge buzzes, you know. Um, you're going to stop hearing your fridge buzzing after a few yeah. days and the, and the train after a couple of weeks. And then any visitor coming to your house will be seeing the rattling window frames and, and so on. So I think we do that. We, we disassociate. And I think that's what we're looking at. Here. But don't we also disassociate morally? For sure we do. Yeah, absolutely. Completely we do. I mean, is it, we, we, um, there's a character, there's a woman who, t- who shows up in the film who's the mother-in-law who plays uh, his wife, Hedwig Hoss, the, the wife's mother. <clears throat> and she comes to the house and she leaves uh, suddenly unannounced in the middle of the night because for reasons um, we see when we, uh, we, we know when we see the, when, when we see the film. Um, but I don't – people have asked me why she leaves um, or has she gets, had some sort of moral pang of conscience or something, which of course is not the true or the case whatsoever. I think it's about proximity. I think it's simply um, – it's okay to buy your steaks from a supermarket in cellophane, but it's not, it's not okay to watch, watch a cow being slaughtered in, a, in an abattoir. You know, it's some, some, the, the, the distance we, give, we create for ourselves away from the, the truth of something, the reality of something in order to, you know – Keep keep going as we as we want to. Isn't that still happening now? Um, it's very much so. It's happening now. Yeah, of course. It's uh, it's 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 um, it's it's something which we may. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's clearly it's in the world, and it's it's not an anomaly. This event wasn't a one-off. It wasn't committed by monstrous, you know, human beings who. Or mon- well, it was committed by monstrous human beings, but it wasn't committed by monsters. It wasn't committed by non-humans. Non-humans. It was committed by us. Um, and when I started this project, I really one of the things I had the hardest uh, time understanding was how an entire society could adopt this, these uh, these ideas and 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 be uh, active or complicit in them. Um, and really, over the course of writing and researching and filming, the world has sort of changed under me or under it. And, and to this point, it's very clear we can all see how societies can take on these, these ideas and, and act on them and other um, and otherize people who they see as less um, uh, 
deserving. As we are generations away from the Holocaust, it can start to feel like it was a long, long time ago. Yeah. And, and it's a reminder that it wasn't and it was and it was of us. And again, not that not that long ago at all. Uh, not that long ago. And and um, it's this is this, this. These ideas are still in the world. Uh, uh, um, obviously quite profoundly moved by the film. Uh, I really appreciate you coming in and, and talking a little bit about it. Thank you, Tom. That was my conversation with the director, Jonathan Glazer. His new film, The Zone of Interest, is out on Friday. That brings us to the end of the show. Uh, the other episode we have up today on our podcast feed, if you're not already subscribed, Q with Tom Power, is my conversation with the actor Richard Thomas, who um, uh, played John Boy in the... I never watched The Waltons. I kind of am somewhat aware of The Waltons, just from liking stuff from The Depression. But uh, he was started as John Boy in The Waltons back when in, in, you know, a thousand, kajillion, million people watched TV and they all watched The Waltons. He talks about what that fame was like. And then we spent a lot of time talking about his new role as Atticus Finch in the touring production of To Kill a Mockingbird. Go check that out. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.